And in the Middle East, as ISIS continues its brutal march, millions of refugees who've been fortunate enough to escape, often only with the clothes on their backs, are now in desperate need of basics like food, shelter, and medical care. Vernon Brewer, president and CEO of World Help, has seen the devastation firsthand. He joins us live now to talk about the efforts to help the millions who are in need. Vernon, thank you for joining us today. Um, I, I can only defer to you in telling us how bad it is because you've been there and you've seen it. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's so nice to be back. I, I've been to Iraq and the Middle East many times, and I can tell you from my own firsthand experience that what we're witnessing there is a Christian holocaust. ISIS mantra is convert, pay, or die. Over 200,000 deaths already, and uh, they're targeting Christians and ethnic minorities, and it's just uh, terrible. The beheadings, the, the rapes, the kidnappings. Uh, we were just in northern Iraq and heard about a village outside of Mosul. ISIS has driven out all the Christians in Mosul. There are no Christians left. And there was a village of 850,000 Christians huddled together. They'd been cut off. They hadn't had any food for over a month. They were dying. So the World Health team quickly uh, mobilized a caravan of four trucks uh, filled with food and medicine and heaters and blankets. And we went behind uh, ISIS lines, uh, just two kilometers from Mosul, the night before we got there. Uh, ISIS had bombed the outskirts of that village. Our security team said we only had an hour and a half on the ground. So we quickly uh, distributed the aid, we prayed with them, and we left. But that day we saved 850 lives, and so far, World Help has been able to save 120,000 lives in Iraq. Yeah, you've gotten really creative. I know it's, at times you've come in from the air. I mean, you, you've done what you can in raising money and getting things directly to people on the ground because we see these pictures, but the real life of what these people are doing, watching their children die, watching their, their wives be sold off into sex slavery. Um, and, and as you said, so many people just killed, simply not even given the chance to, uh, to flee. Um, but the ones that you are coming into contact with, many of them are left with nothing. And I know the countries they're flooding into, some of those countries have no way to help them. I mean, it's just an overwhelming burden. So you're stepping in to fill the gap. A World Help has a three-point strategy, a rescue, restore, and rebuild. We want to keep them alive. We want to help them have new homes and schools and churches and hospitals. And in some cases, even help some of them relocate to other countries. We've provided a mobile medical clinic in northern Iraq. I'm told it's the only one of its kind, and it's staffed with doctors and nurses and a pharmacy. It sees over 100 patients a day. And just in the last few months, uh, we've uh, treated over 8,000 uh, Iraqi Christian refugees with this medical clinic. Just a few days ago, our World Health team on the ground chartered a C-130 filled it with uh, 11 tons of food and medicine, flew behind the ISIS lines and distributed it to three villages of Christians who are being persecuted. And uh, we've sent several containers with millions of dollars of food and, and medicine just to keep them alive. Well, it's very, very practical help that people know when they're giving. It's going to these on-the-ground needs that people have. We're putting up the website so that people can check it out, and uh, we'll tweet that out as well just so people can find out how they can assist you to help others. WorldHelp.net. Vernon Brewer, always good to see you. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you, Shannon. We're committed to being the hands and feet of Jesus on the ground.
We uh, pray your work will continue. Thank Thanks. you. If there was ever a time in history where we are seeing a parallel to the persecution that took place between 64 and 68 AD under the evil emperor Nero uh, that, that happened during the time that First Peter was written, if there's ever a time that we've seen a parallel, I think we're seeing it in our own day and age. Now, in a moment, I will chronicle, uh, I will lay out for you the, the persecution that took place during this time. I will be quoting the Fox's Book of Martyrs to show what persecution that Nero brought. But for right now, I want the reality to sink in that we are experiencing a horrific persecution in our day and age. Now, I say we because these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, Vernon Brewer is a friend of, uh, is a friend of Mission View. We do work through uh, uh, World Health and for the work that they're doing. And so we are partnering. Last year, we sent gifts for this project, that medical unit that you saw. Part of your giving has gone to help and supply that. But I say we because we are linked to them. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of these people are believers that are being targeted. I say we because we are living in a post-Judeo-Christian uh, society in America where the theme is now tolerance of every religion, especially Islam, except for Christianity. Except for Christianity. And I say we because we are going to see things in the future that are horrific that we never thought would take place during our lifetime, and yet we will see them. In fact, I believe some of those things are right here upon us right now. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, the House of Representatives brought up a bill for a vote. It was called H.R. 3504. Some of you are familiar with that bill. And the design of that bill was to preserve the lives of babies that were born alive through botched abortions, through Planned Parenthood, and them harvesting the children for body parts. And it was designed to add a criminal penalty to it. But that, that bill was voted down. And our president promised that he would veto that bill as well. Now... My friends, this isn't a Democrat thing. This isn't a Republican thing. This is a human being thing. This is a human being thing where a baby is born. It is on the table and it is left to die so that they can harvest the body parts. That is barbaric. And it is, it is a sin by which this nation will be held accountable. And my friends, persecution comes in many ways, and persecution is, is against the values of God himself. Everything that God says is, is now being opposed. God says life is valuable, and so it is being opposed. God says marriage is valuable, and marriage is being opposed. Go down the line, everything that is of God is being opposed in our society. The people back then were outsiders. And today, we are outsiders as well. As we go into 1 Peter, I want you to know that the theme is outsiders, for us to stand firm and to stand out. 
Now, this isn't a book that we are going to mourn and we are going to, you know, just say, man, we have it so bad and commiserate and, and, and feel sorry for ourselves. Actually, you're going to see as Peter approaches this book this morning, we're going to see that he has a very different, uh, different attitude that he gives to the believers that we will see in a minute. But we do know that Peter was helping them understand that they were outsiders by the very first verse in 1 Peter 1. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is the authority by which he writes, he says, to those that are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, he says to them, he says, I am writing to the elect exiles. The word exile gives the idea of stranger, of a pilgrim, somebody that's not a citizen of this planet, but is a citizen, as he's going to lay out in a moment, of heaven. That that is our permanent residence that we get to look forward to. And he is writing to a people that, it says, are dispersed. Now, let's understand what had happened. These are people that were dispersed to Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which would have been Asia Minor at that time or modern-day Turkey for us. They had lost their homes. They had lost everything that, that was known to them during, uh, during persecution. And as a result of that, they were scattered all over the place in Asia Minor. Now, it's very real that these people had family members or neighbors or relatives or people that they worked with that, that were now dead. They were dead because of the persecution of Nero. Nero was an unbelievable, cruel man. This is what the Fox of, Fox's Book of Martyrs chronicles for the person, the Emperor Nero. Um, please understand it's Old English. Nero finding that his conduct was greatly blamed and a severe odium cast upon him, determined to lay out the whole upon the Christians. At once, to excuse himself and have an opportunity, opportunity of glittering his sight with new cruelties. This was the occasion of the first persecution. And the barbarities exercised on the Christians were such as even excited the commiseration of the Romans themselves. Nero even refined upon cruelty and contrived all manners of punishment for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could not design. In particular, he had some sewed up in the skins of wild beasts and then worried by dogs until they expired. And others dressed in shirts made with stiff wax, fixed to an axle tree and set on fire in his garden in order to illuminate them. This persecution was generally throughout the whole Roman Empire, but it rather increased than diminished the spirit of Christianity. In the course of it, St. Paul and St. Peter were martyred. Now, the book of 1 Peter was written about 64 A.D., 63, 64 A.D. Peter probably died around 67 A.D. and Paul soon after that. And so we see that this is the context in which this book is written. Now, I think you and I, in putting ourselves into the shoes of these believers, we would say they had a right to commiserate. They had a right to mourn all of these losses and yet, that's not what Peter does. 
In a moment, we're going to see in verse 3 that Peter breaks out in a doxology of praise and emphasis all, emphasizes all the blessings that God had given them. Now, for us, we would commiserate. We commiserate for much less. I mean, if we have a bad day, we commiserate. If, if we have a, take a loss in the stock market, we definitely commiserate. And we have all kinds of things that cause us to commiserate. But maybe we need to be reminded of what Paul, Peter is trying to say to the believer. Stand true. Stand up. Stand firm. This is what I want of you. And what you need to do is understand that you are a blessed people. Peter, Peter wanted his readers then and now to understand that in the midst of all their circumstances, that God was in control. He still is. What are you going through? What is it that you're facing? Please know that God knows. And what maybe God wants today for each of us is a change of perspective. And I know that that can only happen when our eyes get off of ourselves and get on to him. So here's our question this morning. Who are your eyes fixed upon? Let's pray. Jeremy, Father, as we continue in your word, I pray that our eyes would be fixed completely upon you. I pray that no matter what we are going through in this life, that we would have our mind and our heart fixed on Christ. And Lord, as we draw near to you, help us to have the faith that you will work through our circumstances. Lord, there may be things that you want us to do. Help us to know what that is. But Lord, help us to see you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. There will be four blessings in our passage. We're only going to cover the first seven verses. And the first blessing is really the blessing uh, to be under God's sovereign care in his salvation. Take a look at verse 2. Now, Peter had said to those who are elect exiles, those who are elect exiles, and pick up in verse 2, according, they were elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So all of this was under God's care in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience of Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now this verse alone sets the theological foundation for this letter. Peter wants his readers to understand the abundant and amazing grace of God and the power and peace that they could have. That's why he says grace and peace to you. But this is only going to happen if they could really understand the unbelievable care that God has given them as believers in their salvation. He wants us to understand that ourselves. And so he will lay out the 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 gift of salvation that God has given us through the Trinity. He talks about God the Father. He talks about the Spirit. He talks about the Son. All are involved in this incredible care of us. Now notice he starts off with the role of the Father. He says the God the Father has elected you. You are elect exiles. In other words, chosen exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, I want you to know there are some people that when they hear the word election or chosen 
or foreknowledge. They get goosebumps going up and down their spine because they just love talking about election. They love talking about foreknowledge. They love talking about all these things. I want you to know that I don't believe God gives these terms or this concept for us necessarily to fully comprehend. Because for years, decades, for hundreds of years, people have been debating, what does this all really mean? I don't think it's for us to understand, but it is for us to appreciate. It is to appreciate the fact that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He has chosen. Now, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, get this, that we were chosen before the creation of the world. Now, think about that. You, I, every bully, every person that's put their faith in Christ, God had you in mind before the creation of the world. Now, he says he elected us according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What's he talking about, the foreknowledge of God? He said the, the idea of foreknowledge is not just advanced knowledge, but it literally means this, to set one's love on a person in a personal way. To set one's love on a person in a personal way. In other words, God the Father's part in our salvation was that he loved us so much that he had you and I in his mind, in his heart, before the world was even created. What an awesome thing. Do I understand it? No. Do I appreciate it? Absolutely. What an amazing thing. Then he says the work of the Spirit was to sanctify us in this word, in this, in this passage. The word sanctify means to be set apart for God's chosen purpose. So God not only thought of us before the creation of the world, he had a plan to sanctify us, to set us apart when we came uh, when we came into existence in this world. So what did the Holy Spirit do in sanctifying? Well, we know in John chapter 16 that he started by convicting us of sin, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. We know according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he brings us to the place where we put our faith in him. So that's what the Holy Spirit is to do, is to bring us to that place. And finally, we look at the work of the sun. The work of the sun was to provide the sprinkling with the blood. Now, many of the people that were reading this were Jews. Some of them were Gentiles, but the Jew immediately understood the sprinkling of the blood. It went back to the Old Testament, the, sla the, 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 the slaughter of an animal, the taking of the blood, the sprinkling it on the mercy seat of God. And so they realized there was a real picture for the Jew that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. The idea was that when they saw that animal die because of their sin, it was firmly planted in their mind. The wages of my sin caused the death of this animal. And so Jesus was ultimately the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Those were all temporary sacrifices. But then came the perfect Lamb of God, and Jesus provided the sprinkling, the shedding of the blood. He made the payment for sins. And please understand that his blood shed on the cross is sufficient for all. Some play games, word games with the scriptures and say, oh, oh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world of the elect. 
No, it didn't say that. It says he loved the world. His blood was sufficient for every single human being alive. It's sufficient. Does that mean that everyone will believe? No, it doesn't mean that. But it's sufficient. It is available. And the resurrection of Christ was, in a sense, the proof of purchase. So all of this is wrapped up in this tiny little verse. And notice what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, for obedience to Jesus and for the sprinkling of his blood. See, all of this is to bring us to the place of obedience. The only part that you and I play is to accept this clear love that was orchestrated by the Father from the beginning of creation that the Holy Spirit carried out and it was made possible because of the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. All of this, I simply have to respond to God's love and say, yes, I accept it. Yes, I understand I'm a sinner. And yes, I want to live for you. And guess what the fruit of that repentance would be? Obedience. See, the test of Christianity is whether you obey or not. Do you realize how many people got really spiritual when the Pope came to town? All of a sudden, man, I am, I am, I am. I am so rich in faith. Where are they today? Are they in church? Are they worshiping God? I don't stand in judgment, but I fear that there are many people that say I love God, but then they go back to their normal routines of life. This is what 1 John says. 1 John says this, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a what? It's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we are in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. That's it. So here's my question. Have you experienced that sovereign care of salvation that God's made available to you? And is it evident in your obedience? See, the rest of the message, it probably isn't going to help you a whole lot unless you're born again. And I know for most people here, you've given your life to Christ, but maybe there would be some that would say, I really haven't been living for Christ. I really don't know. There's been no obedience in my life. I need that obedience in my life. It starts by you saying, God, Right now, I give my life to you. I surrender. I confess all the things I've done, and I give my life to you. Then you'll understand the rest of the blessings. The next blessing he gives is the blessing of new birth. This is those that have appropriated this gift of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, what he does is Peter says, listen, blessed Blessed. This means praise God. It's, I can almost see Peter writing this like, praise God for all that God has done. This is about the most amazing thing that God has done for us is provide this salvation. And he is breaking out in praise. And then he goes, he says, and it's by the great mercies of God. 
In other words, in our wretched condition, God, in his unmerited grace, his unmerited favor towards us, he said, I'm going to love you even though you have been despicable, even though your minds have been totally far from me. I'm not certain who it was. I, I, I've seen some signs out that say you, you, you're awesome. Now, I want you to know, I, I hope there's a good intentions behind that. But I want you to know my Bible says I'm not awesome. I'm really not. Not in and of me. No, outside of Christ, I'm not awesome at all. But I'll tell you who is awesome. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercies, he has done this for us. For us. What an awesome thing he has done. And it says in the passage, he's caused us to be born again. Clearly, God is orchestrating things, events, people, places in your life so that you could come to faith in Christ. You know that Sunday school teacher that taught you the plan of salvation? That was God. You know that co-worker that opened up the Bible, even when it wasn't cool to do that in the office place? Yeah, that was God. You know that spouse that was faithful in loving you to Jesus? That was God. He used these individuals, but that was God. God was orchestrating this. And get this, at the very end of the verse it says... And he, we are born again. He causes us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, please understand what he's saying. He's equating the resurrection with our living hope. Why is that? Because Christ was raised to a newness of life, showing that he was King of kings and Lord of lords, and that there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. It was through that living testimony of Jesus Christ that we are now associated with him, and we have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a hopeless hope. It is not a defeated hope. It is a living hope that you and I have in Christ. Can you see how encouraging this would be to these believers who've lost everything? My friends, what's discouraging you today? Seriously, what is discouraging you today? Gain the big picture. Gain the big picture. The things of this life, they're going to pass. But we have God forever. Here's the second, the third blessing that we have. We have a new inheritance. Not only do we have a new birth, but we have a new inheritance. Take a look at verse 4. He says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, notice what he's saying here. He's saying new life starts in this earth, but it goes way beyond this. There is an inheritance that is waiting for us. And it's interesting, the word inheritance is used in the Septuagint in the Old Testament to describe the promised land. It's the same word that was used to describe that the Israels had a definite promised land that they would go to someday. And God took them through the wilderness and eventually took them to a tangible promise 
promised land. And so the encouragement for these believers is that there is a physical, tangible, not metaphorical, but a physical, tangible place that you will go to called heaven. And that's where our citizenship is. And he says that there are three words here that he describes this place. And it's interesting, we don't see it in the English language, but in the Greek language, it is fully alliterated. Peter was a guy who liked to alliterate in threes. And so he gives three words that all begin with the letter A and have the same, have the same noun ending. And so he says, you have an inheritance, that, which is a paraton, which means imperishable imperishable nothing is going it's not going to rust it's not going to decay the second word is amanatan which means undefiled it's unstained by evil untouched by the enemy and the last one is amaranatan which means unfading unimpaired unimpaired by time it's not going to fade. You get a new shirt, eventually it gets holes in it, it gets wrinkles, it, gets, it, it fades, but heaven will never fade. It is locked up, secure in heaven. And he says in verse 5 that our inheritance is under lock and key, under guard. It says that we are, it's being guarded through faith. The idea of the word guard was used of a, Rome, of a Roman garrison that would guard a city. And so immediately the readers could think of, oh, my inheritance is under the guard of God. It's under the protection of God, and he is fortifying my inheritance. Now, knowing all of this, I think it's logical for us to ask the question of, what am I putting my security in? What am I working for? Is it the here and now? Or is it for kingdom things? In 2009, I went to Cambodia for the first time. And on this trip, I did something that was really foolish. I went and checked into a Cambodian hotel. And the first thing I did is I looked all over the place for a safe in the room. I couldn't find a safe. So I had $500 cash with me, and I didn't, want to, I didn't want to take it on my persons out in the town. I wasn't certain about Cambodia, so I hid it in the room. I thought I had a really good hiding place. Evidently not. I came back a few hours later, and, and it was gone. It was all gone. Uh, fortunately, my passport was still there. So I went down to the front desk, explained what happened, and the, the person at the front desk very kindly said, well, why didn't you use the, 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 the hotel safe? We have one right down here. I didn't, didn't want to tell them that I didn't know they had one. But in a sense, if I could read between the eyes, because between the lines, as I, this guy looked at me, I think what he was really saying to me, this is Cambodia, stupid. That's what I think he was really saying to me, is that this is Cambodia, stupid. Why'd you do that? See, I had placed my security in the wrong place. Where are you putting your security? Some of us are locking it up within our jobs, within our friendships, within the circumstances of our life. And I hope you can hear the voice that says, this is the world, stupid. This is the world. Why do that? We have it in the wrong place. 
The only place it's secure is in Christ. Now we move on to the very last blessing. And this might be the hardest blessing because this is, uh, we are blessed with joy in us being tested in our faith. We have joy, but we're tested in our faith. Now, please understand, up to this point, Peter has pretty much stated all the blessings that God has given us. He's given us this salvation. He showed us this care so that we can have a new birth, so that we can have this inheritance. This is all that God's done. And about the only responsibility we have is to praise God for it, to bless him, which we could do if we have our eyes off of ourselves and we're not myoptic, and we, we could see the blessings of God. But now, all of a sudden, he is going to put human responsibility on us. And he's going to say, this is where the blessings of God are going to intersect with your faith. He says, yes, praise be to God for all that God's done. But this is how it's going to involve you. And so in verses 6 and 7, he gives two ways in which your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested by trials. The first way is that trials will come in many forms. Take a look at verse 6. He says, praise in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Do you know what he's saying here? From this verse, the very first part, he says, for a little while, it gives the idea that God has his hand on the thermostat in terms of the heat of trials in our life. God knows that you're going to come in and out of difficult situations. You might be saying, God, I'll take a pass on this one. Skip over me. I think Bob, he really needs an extra trial today, but not me. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, he also says that it will be painful because he says, you have been grieved. The idea is that there is pain that is associated with this. And it is also various kinds of trials. The word various means variegated, multicolored. In other words, there are so many, just as there are many colors in the Crayola crayon box, there are as many colors on the palettes of God's testing that he has in our life. And God uses those testings. But so why? Why, in the, why the trials? What does God accomplish in the trials? Psalm 119.67 says this, that God uses trials to discipline us. So, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9 says that God uses trials to help us grow or to prepare us for spiritual growth. The fact is, God will use trials however he wants to in, his, in our life. God loves us. He is our Father. He will not tempt us, but he will allow trials to come into our life to, burn, to help us in our life. He allowed it for Abraham. He allowed it for Job. He allowed it for Peter. He's going to allow it in our life. We may not like that, but they will come in many forms. Here's the other thing we learn about trials. Trials are used to refine our faith. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter uses an illustration of the gold and the goldsmith here for the reader to understand how God uses trials. Here's what we understand. God allows his children 
to be in the fire. And just as the goldsmith takes the gold and puts it in the fire and allows the dross, allows the impurities to be burnt off, God allows that in our life. He does it out of love. Some of us feel like we are in the furnace an awful lot. Well, you have a lot of dross in your life. We all do. And God is burning that off. And what it says here is that God allows these impurities to be burned off. And do you realize that often the goldsmith would take and put the gold in to test whether or not it was gold or not? Because the fire revealed the quality of the, 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 the substance. And what we see in this is that trials test the sincerity of our faith. The stress that we feel makes us either dig deeper and closer to God or we walk away from God. And I believe what God wants is for us to draw close. And it says in this passage that the end product of our faith is far greater than gold. The end product is that we are going to give praise and glory and honor to Jesus when he comes back. When he comes back as a reference of his return, when this is when the body of Christ will be judged before God and we will stand before him. And it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, that some of our, 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 what we have done in this life will be like precious stone, but some of it will be like wood, straw, and stubble. And so he will burn off the impurities in that judgment. But ultimately, hopefully, at that judgment, we can give praise to God and thank him for all that he has done in our life, and it gives praise to him. So here's the deal. If the furnace is the tool of revealing, and we all face difficulties, then it's fair to ask this question. What has the furnace revealed in your life what is the furnace revealed in your life for some of us to be honest it's revealed a weak faith some of us feel like retreating some of us feel like giving up you might be like the, the father who's at wit's end when he brings his son who has a, a disability he keeps He's, he's epileptic or something like that. And he brings him to the disciples and the disciples can't help him. And he brings him to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus looks at him and says, if you can, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And then the man looks at him and says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I understand that guy because I've been that guy many times. That one thing I'm wanting God to do to change, the one circumstance, the one person I want him to reach, God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. See, what this tells us is that our job is to call out, to cry out to God, to draw near to him. We've looked at the passage today. So how do we do it? How do we stand firm? How do we stand out? 
I want to give you three things that you can do immediately. One of them you can do, two of them you can do today. All three you could really do today if you wanted to. Number one, I want you to do inventory of the blessings that God has given you. There was a guy that wrote a book, Dr. Robert Emons, who, said, who wrote the book, Thanks How the New Science of Gratitude Makes You Happier. And he studied it and said happiness, or when we are great, grateful, it, it increases our happiness by 25%. I don't know how he got to that percentage, but he found out what God has already known, and that is when we do inventory, it brings perspective in our life. And so around the lunch table today, wherever you go, I don't care if you go to Denny's or where you're going to Pita Pit or going home, but when you get your food, ask the question, what are the blessings that we have? Let's do inventory as a family. Here's the second thing you can do. Carry with you a tool of reminder that we are to walk by faith. That no matter what the difficulties are in this life, we have a tool of reminder. Now, I want you to know this week, I bought a man wrap. This is not a man bracelet, okay? This is a man wrap. Okay, this is because men don't wear bracelets, but we wear wraps. Here we are. This is my, 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 my man wrap that I bought this week, and I bought this as a reminder. You'll see in the Old Testament, they often put up monuments to remind them, a physical reminder of God's grace, God's faithfulness. Well, this is a reminder to me that I am to walk by faith. Now, I bought it at a little, uh, at the flea market, at a Christian outpost called uh, uh, From a Village. Now, I've invited them to come for the next four weeks in our commons time, and they're going to be selling these things. They are made by Haitian and Guatemalan believers, and all the proceeds go to support very solid ministries in those countries. And I thought this would be a great way. I wanted to buy something for all of you, but we don't have it in the budget. So we're going to let you buy it for yourself. Plus, I probably am not going to pick out the accessory that would match your wardrobe. So you can take the comments time. Sorry, guys, we brought shopping to church, but you can get over it. It's fine because I would like uh, you guys to have a bro wrap as well. So have a physical reminder with you. Here's the third thing engage in a faith mission. The best way for us to get our minds off of our own circumstances is for us to look at other people. And so I want you to think of a person that you can encourage this week, a note that you can write. I want you to, to do that and think of maybe you take somebody out for coffee. Now at this time, I'm going to have Mike and Liz come on up here and I'm going to have them pray for the offering. I decided to put the offering at the very end because I wanted the, this offering to be just kind of an act of our gratitude before God as we worship. And then we're going to sing a final song that will commission us to go out and for us to live it out. But I want you to just think about this inventory, getting a reminder, and engaging in a faith mission this week. Mike and Liz. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this church, and we're so thankful for our freedom, and we're thankful, um, God, that we're able to be here. We think of um, Carl and Laura with Remember New. God, we have no idea what these kids are going through. We have no idea what it's like to be, have someone taken from our family to be sold into the sex, sex trade. 
God, I pray that we can do our part, that we can support the kids who are available to be supported financially. God, that we would do our part to pray. God, that we would do our part to pray for leaders to come into these homes, the homes that are already set up and the homes that are um, being talked about, the one in Africa that's a possibility. They need a boy's home. I pray that you would supply healthy, willing leaders and home parents for these children. God, that you would put your protection around them, the ones that um, are at risk and the ones that have already been um, taken. God, that you would go before them and that you would just cover them with your blessings. I pray that the children with um, Remember New would feel your presence and they, they would realize their blessings in front of them. Lord, we're thankful for a community of churches, Lord, that wants to see your word spread throughout the community, Lord. Lord, we um, lift up First Christian Church to you and Pastor Ryan, Lord. I pray, Lord, that um, you speak through him, Lord. Speak to his body, Lord. Help them to uh, be a light into the community, to share um, just love with their neighbors, um, with their co-workers, with just whoever they come in contact with, Lord, so that um, you will be glory, Lord. It's not the name of the church, Lord. It's not the pastor, Lord. It's about you. Um, and Lord, um, we thank you um, for Mission View, Lord, for the blessings, Lord, that you've poured upon us, Lord, as, um, as a church, Lord. You've blessed us all um, with our resources, with our time, with our jobs, with our families, Lord. There's so many blessings, Lord, that you have just so freely poured upon us. Lord, we... Um, just pray for our offering, Lord. Um, pray, Lord, that for our elders, Lord, that you continue to bless them with wisdom and with our finances of our church, Lord. Father, we love you, Lord. Um, thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>